wish to thank you for stepping down into darkness. And that's where we were, those of us, any of us who have lived. But thank you, Lord, that by stepping down into darkness and the mission that you had was to take the sin of the world upon yourself. We thank you, Lord, that your son was given on our behalf. It's such a great price to give for those of us, all of us, that were not worthy of that supreme act of love. Lord, we thank you that in your word, we get to see not only that vision of Isaiah, but also that vision in Ephesians, where we are seated up high with Christ, those of us who are in Christ. And Lord, that is just humbling. It is very humbling. And yet at the same time, it fills us with hope and spirit to know that with that community of the body of Christ that we celebrate this morning, that, Lord, this is what the whole secret mystery, the plan was from the foundation of the earth, and that we are part of it, not because of what we do, but because of your strength and power and love, your mercy, your kindness. Lord, we praise you. We glorify your name, and we give this time to you to exalt you in whatever way we can, through prayer, through song, through words. And, Lord, we we are humbled um, so much in the love that you have for us in Christ. And it is his name that we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. While you're doing that, you can uh, turn to Colossians chapter 2. It's where we'll be this morning. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in the 18th verse. A couple of thank yous. First, thanks to the high school kids who uh, helped us uh, get a glimpse into the, their foray through Jonah over the last few months. Appreciate uh, you and Chad and Aaron leading me through that and helping them get up here in front of y'all. And, and, and I hope that over the last week you've been thinking about what your vine is. What, what is that thing that, uh, that you care more about than, than what God would have you care about as they talk to us? Uh, second thank you goes to uh, Avery and Brooklyn and Rebecca. Some point in time yesterday, spur of the moment, they decided they were going to do a lemonade stand uh, to help raise money to pay for some new tables and chairs for our preschool. And uh, how much did you raise? $50. Selling lemonade on Brasstown Road. Oh, that's right, yeah. And Maddie was there too. And, and my guess is maybe the tailors had something to do with helping them set up and make... Uh, Lemonade and, and the Carringers as well. Right? So thank you for that, girls. Appreciate that. Again, we are in Colossians chapter 2. Next week, we're going to take another break from Colossians. It's Father's Day. So dads, come and pick on you a little bit. I mean, encourage you a little bit, if at all possible. Um, this morning, again, we celebrate communion. Um, we invite anyone who has uh, put their trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ uh, as their Savior to participate. And uh, as always, parents, since we have little ones in here, uh, we trust that you know their spiritual state and this is an opportunity for you to engage them in conversation and uh, just respond appropriately at that time. Um, this is our 11th message in the book of Colossians. Uh, 
Again, my goal was to finish chapter 2, but again, we're going to not make it that far this morning. And two weeks, two weeks we'll finish chapter 2. I'm not going to promise that, but that's, that's the goal. And then we'll take another break. The Harringtons are going to Texas for a couple of weeks. Uh, got a friend from seminary named Sid Emery who's planning a church in South Carolina. He'll be here on July 1st. And then uh, Brandon Brown will uh, do some music and talking and lead us through some stuff on July 8th. And then we'll be back and continue in Colossians. And then hopefully by the 1st of August, we'll be at the end of chapter 3. And then we'll take a little bit of extended time looking at family. Uh, Paul spends about three or four verses talking about husbands and wives and parents and kids. But we'll spend uh, four, five, six weeks talking about marriage, uh, defining husbands and wives, what that looks like especially in this culture where people try to redefine those terms and tell us what husbands and wives should look like. We'll also talk about singles and just the family uh, in general. So that'll be the beginning of August. We'll get there. But this morning, Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. So would you follow along as I read just a couple of verses? Paul writes, Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would encourage us and challenge us. God, may we see that you indeed are the only thing that we need to hold on to. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, he says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. I think the ESV says, let no one disqualify you. Uh, that word really means you hold on to something and someone comes along, uh, someone in authority and pronounces some judgment and you lose what's rightfully yours. Uh, reminded of a football game back in 1990, uh, Colorado and Missouri. Colorado was trailing. There was about 40 seconds left. Uh, they got the ball inside the 10. Uh, the quarterback ran up, spiked the ball on first down to stop the clock. Second down, running play. They didn't make the goal line. They used their last timeout. <coughs> During that timeout, the referees failed to change the down marker from second to third. So they come back up. The quarterback thinks it's second down. They run another play. It's now really third down, though the down marker says second. Stops short again. The quarterback thinks it's third. Thinks it's third down, so he spikes the ball again. That should have been all they had. Two seconds left. This is now fifth down. For those of you who don't know football, that's not right. You can't do that. Uh, they run. They score. Missouri was robbed of what should have been rightfully theirs. But that's not the end of the story. At the end of the year, there's a debate between who should be number one, Colorado or Georgia Tech. Uh, this was back in the dark ages when they actually voted for things like that. Instead of, uh, I don't know what they do now, computers and stuff. Uh, and everybody from Georgia Tech feels like they were robbed of the national championship because Colorado should have had a loss. That uh, Associated Press trophy should have been theirs, and instead it went to Colorado. And they thought it was ours and we were robbed. And that's what Paul is talking about. Someone has made a decision, a referee, in this case someone coming into the church and doing something and robbing 
the Colossians and us of our prize. Well, what is that prize? Well, it's, it's the fact that we have Christ in us. Now, Paul's not talking about salvation. He's talking to believers. He's talking about the fact that these people are living and walking by faith and growing in their relationship with God. And someone comes along and introduces something else that robs them of the joy of their purity of devotion to Christ. And Paul wants to warn them like he has been warning them. Remember, we started uh, chapter 2 and verse 4. He says, I say this so no one will delude you with persuasive argument. And then in verse 8, see that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. And then a couple of weeks ago, verse 16, therefore no one is to act as your judge. And now in verse 18, don't let someone come in and disqualify you from your prize. Steal your prize. You see, the problem is we don't have to go back 20 years. Uh, probably a weekend doesn't go by when some referee, some official makes some decision that we later find out is incorrect that affects the outcome of the game. And what's interesting is, is that fans get just as upset as the players, as though they've been robbed of something. They're not playing. They're just watching on TV. They, they may have a vested interest, but they feel deeply hurt upset that my team was robbed of something. And yet I wonder how different Christianity would be if, if we were that passionate, that excited about guarding the treasure that we have of Christ in us. Would it make a difference? And so what is Paul asking them not to be uh, or to, to not get uh, stolen from them? So let's look at, at verse 18 again. He says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels. So there are two ideas going on. Both are very related. We'll, we'll explain why. First, uh, self-abasement. That word really means humility. In every other place it appears in the New Testament, it's always with a, a positive spin. It's, it's putting yourself in a position where someone else is more important. Now, in, in other literature, it can lean that way where it's, uh, self-abasement, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat myself poorly. Either way, the idea is the same. I'm putting myself down so that someone else can be magnified. Humility, uh, treating myself uh, maybe worse than I should. Either way, these people are delighting in that. Uh, in a rather ironic way, they're taking pride in their humility. They're taking pride in and wanting people to see, hey, look at me. I'm humble. Right? It's like the four-year-old that you send to the room to be quiet. And about every two or three minutes, they go, hey, mom, look how quiet I'm being. Right? That's the idea that's going on here. These people are delighting in their humility. They're making something of themselves. And, and they want the Colossians to see that. When we do that, when we allow pride to sneak in, whether it looks like humility or not, what we're doing is, is we're taking our eyes off Christ, who should be our center, and we automatically put them on ourselves. When I delight in, in something about me, what that does and what that forces me to do is to continue to do that to earn your approval. Look at, look at what I've done. And so then we get that approval from someone and, 
And then we feel like, oh, I like that, so I've got to do something else. I've got to make sure that you see that I am humble in other ways. And the focus removes itself from Christ and puts it on ourselves. And that robs us of the prize of being in Christ because now the focus is I'm in me. If I get my identity somewhere besides Christ, it forces me to interact with you in such a way that you notice me. And our goal should ultimately be that we notice Christ, that you really don't see me, that I really don't see you. What I, what I see is Christ in you, not you and the things that you do to magnify yourself. Second thing, uh, the worship of angels taking his stand on visions he has seen. Um, we kind of don't have a really good idea of what Paul's talking about. The good news is it, it doesn't really matter. We'll, we'll see that in a second. Um, there have been three ideas float around because we have some evidence, some other writings that there were three different things that were going on, all involving worship and all involving angels. Uh, apparently, this person or these people have seen visions. They're coming into the Colossian church and they're saying, look, here's what's happened. The first one is just a plain reading. They are worshiping angels. Uh, syncretism. They're combining the worship of God with worship of angels, some vision they've seen that's told them, hey, in addition to worshiping God, you also should worship His angels. Just a straightforward reading. The other idea is that these people have seen some visions of heaven and angels worshiping God. So um, they're delighting in this special vision, this special revelation. I've seen the angels worshiping God. And so they come and they announce this special vision they've seen and they set themselves up as different and separate than everybody else. I'm special because of what I've seen. I've seen the angels worshiping God. It'd be like if your favorite Christian artist invited you and you alone to go see them in concert. It's kind of a one-on-one -on -one show they're playing for you. And you came back to church and say, hey, guess what I got to do? I was the only one invited. You weren't. I'm special. You're not. The third idea that we have some evidence in some other writings is that uh, Jewish exorcists were going around because of something they'd seen, a vision they'd seen that uh, actually to cast out demons, not only did you invoke the name of God, you had to invoke the name of certain angels. And depending on what kind of demon it was, you would invoke the name of Gabriel or Michael. And there was... Twelve different angel names that they knew. We've got records of them. And depending upon the kind of demon, you would know which angel to pray to. And so in a sense, this worship of angels is um, serving God in a religious way, which is one of the definitions of worship, uh, through angels or by means of angels. Regardless of which one of those it is, the idea is, I know something you don't. Again, it comes back to pride. I've seen something you haven't, and I'm a special Christian because of that. And if you really want to be mature, you need to somehow figure out a way to see the things that I've seen, to do the things that, I've do, that I do. We do that all the time with various spiritual disciplines. I read my Bible through once a year. And if you want to be special, you should do that too. 
I pray 30 minutes a day, and if you want to be special, you should too. I give so much, I, and you fill in the blank. Anything that we do that sets, tries to set ourselves apart from someone else, ultimately, again, takes our eyes off Christ, puts our eyes on us. And if you buy into that, if you buy into, here's something special that I do that you need to do too, then that person has robbed you of your prize. We read a few weeks ago, you are complete in Christ. Now, again, as we said, that doesn't mean that reading your Bible and praying aren't good things. But if you're seeking to do those things to set yourself apart from someone else, you're being robbed of your prize, of your completeness in Christ. You're adding something to the gospel. And what it does, it leads in one of two directions. Either you succeed in that and then you think you're better than everyone else. Or you begin to look around and you realize that, oh, maybe I'm not better than anyone else. You say, I read through my Bible last year. And, and then you meet someone who reads their Bible once every six months. Now what do I do? You, you decide and you, you succeed in praying for 30 minutes every day. And then you meet someone who prays for an hour every day. And you don't feel so special. I memorized a verse a week last year. And then you meet someone who memorized two entire books of the Bible. And you just kind of go, I'll never, I'll never be as spiritual as that person. And when we do that, that robs us of the prize that you are complete in Christ. It's just pride. These people that are delighting in these things they pass judgment on the Colossians and on us. And they rob us of the prize of the fact that you are a child of the God of the universe. And He loves you and He cares for you. And He wants to have relationship with you. It's pride, it's idolatry, it's, it's putting ourselves ultimately in, in this special knowledge or this special thing before a relationship with God. So the question is, so that's the what they were doing. The other question is, how did they get there? Look at verse 19. And not holding fast to the head. See, whenever we choose to not cling diligently to Christ, to hold fast, to grasp, to that white knuckle grip, I'm not going to let go of the truth of the grace of God. It's in me. Whenever we do that, we will hold on to something else. We will make a decision to look for some way else to get our identity. And that's what these people apparently did. They weren't holding fast to Christ. They weren't deciding that I'm not going to think outside the box. I'm going to, to keep my focused on, focus on Christ. Because whenever you and I lose that, we will grasp, we will seek something else. We'll seek some place to get our identity if it's not Him. Let me give you two reasons why that's important. He continues on in 19. And not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body in the New American Center, and there's a comma, and then in the end grows with the growth which is from God. See, the reason we have to hold on to Christ is that's the only way we will grow. 
we began this series of Colossians talking about the fact that Paul was thrilled that the Colossians were growing and bearing fruit. And it was because they were holding on to the grace of God and truth. They were delighting in the God of the universe. The only way that we grow, the only way that we mature, the only way that we shine the light of Christ is to hold on to the head. He's the one that makes us grow. It's not the external stuff that we do as believers that makes us grow. It's that internal relationship with Christ that empowers all that external stuff to be useful. It's as we seek God that He makes us opening up our Bible and reading it worthwhile. You see, ultimately, let's say you read, instead of the Bible through in one year, let's say you read a chapter a week. It'd take you 21 years to read through the Bible at a chapter a week. But if you were reading a chapter a week, delighting in God, and living that out, that would make far more impact than someone who was just checking their box and saying, yep, I read it through again this year. If you're really submitting to God's will in your life and saying, what does He have to say to me here? And how can that make a difference in my life this week and next week? Submitting to His authority, relying upon Him for strength instead of just checking boxes. The second thing is that middle clause uh, in between the commas in the New American Standard. Uh, I'll read 19 again. And not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with the growth which is from God. Those joints and ligaments, that's you and I. You and I, through the power of God, we hold each other together. We support one another. We need one another. And the problem with what was happening is pride, right? Delighting in something besides God, which leads to pride, which leads to having to build myself up. The problem is when I'm so focused on myself and building myself up, or I think that I've found this secret to the spiritual life of what makes me mature, I no longer need you when that's true. And if I don't need you, then what I'm, what's going to happen is I'm going to take advantage of you. I'm going to use you for my purposes and my glory and my good. But Paul says that those joints and ligaments, and that's us. We learned that from Ephesians and some other places, that terminology. We support each other. We hold one another together through the power of God. God's the one that causes the growth. But we need each other. We have to have each other. Uh, I'm reminded of a, a poem by Emily Dickinson. Um, she talked about that some people go to church on Sunday, but I, my church is just nature, what I see. They sing songs. I listen to birds. They listen to a preacher. But, but God is the preacher where, where I am. And, and then she says, and his sermons are never long. Granted, she was, in all likelihood, reacting to a legalistic mindset about attending church. The problem was is that she believed that wholeheartedly, and she spent her entire life, after she wrote that poem, in seclusion. Her fellowship involved letters 
to her friends, she never attended church again. She truly believed that she had found the secret to worshiping God. I can worship here in nature and, and life is good. Some people say, well, that's true. I, I, I enjoy going out, especially here in this place. I enjoy sitting on our front porch and looking out across the valley and the hills. and It's beautiful and it reminds me of, of God's goodness and His graciousness. But if you think that you can worship God or, or that you need to do that because, well, there's just too many distractions and people are around, you've got it wrong. We have to worship with other people. See, worship really is submitting to the rule of God in my life. That's what worship is. Worship is submitting to the rule of God in my life. It's not just singing songs. That's part of it. But we worship God by coming underneath His authority. And you can't do that by yourself. Why? I'm trying to make this connection for you. What are the two greatest commandments? Someone tell me. Jesus said, what are the two greatest commandments? And if I'm to submit to the rule of God in my life, how can I love my neighbor when I'm spending all my time worshiping without distraction, worshiping on my own? One of the many reasons that we have little ones in here is, is we need to learn how to worship with distraction because you will always, always have distraction in your life. There will always be people who are bugging you and trying to take your mind off of God. Always. And what a better place to practice worship than in this family where even if you're distracted by a little one, you can at least look at them and go, they're cute. And I know them and, and I love them and I care for them because we're part of the body. See, we have to have each other. We need each other. You are my support and you help hold me together. You help me fit into the body. You encourage me. You help me perform the task that God has called me to perform in this body. And we all do that for each other because we've all been given gifts. We've all been given a role to play. And we need each other to come alongside and strengthen and love and support. And Paul says, when pride gets in the way, when we delight in other things besides God, when pride gets in the way, it takes our eyes off of the things that are important and forces us. By default, we have to make more of ourselves and make less of everyone around us. Because then I need you for my identity. I need you to pat me on the back and say, good job. I need you to think that I'm more important than I really am which is the wonderful thing about getting to celebrate this together. See, this helps solve that problem of pride. This helps solve that problem of spiritual elitism. This helps solve that problem of, I don't need you. Because this reminds us that we, all of us, come into God's presence needy and only by the blood of our Savior. None of us has any special get into heaven free card. 
come into God's presence because I'm special card. This reminds us that the only way into God's presence is through the blood of His Son. We are all hopelessly and helplessly sinful and under God's wrath without Christ's sacrifice. And so there's a level playing field. And so as we come, we should look around and go, all these people are in the same boat that I am. All these people sitting in this room are in exactly the same spot and I need them to help me take those steps to to walk, to trust God. I need those people in my life to encourage and challenge me and to make sure that my eyes are, are focused on who God is and not focused on myself. So this is a great reminder of that. And so we come this morning and we celebrate those truths. And so I want to take just a, a minute. I want us to, to pray together. I want, to, I want us to think through some of the things that Paul has talked about and, and pray through that um, silently as we prepare to take communion. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you for um, the opportunity to be in your presence. God, we, we come humbly and, um, and in need of your grace. So God, I, I, I pray that you would help us to get a clear vision of, of, of who we are because of what you've done. Um, would you take a, a moment and, and ask God, God, where am I delighting in something besides you? Where am I delighting in something besides you? And if God reveals something to you, would you repent of that and, uh, and trust Him completely for your identity?